You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated. Good morning to all of you watching online or in the chapel and those who are here live in person. Crazy how 40 degrees felt hot this morning after this past week. Hey, we're wrapping up in the See Jesus um, series today, so let's, let's see him together. Let me begin with a, a rather weighty question to start. Uh, here's, here's the question I have really for all of us today. What is it that you fear? Consider your life right now. Go ahead and look deep into your soul. What is it that you fear? Is it loneliness? Is it being isolated from everyone you know or just that feeling of being all alone? Is that cause great fear in your life? Maybe it's not isolation. Maybe it's failure in your marriage, in your life, in school, in relationships, and friendships. Maybe it's a loved one leaving the faith or a family member leaving the faith. Maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's death that you fear. Perhaps relationship loss, memory loss, financial loss, a prodigal child, prodigal son, prodigal daughter. (laughs) Maybe you weren't afraid of anything until I read that list just then, and now we're all maybe a little fearful. But is there something that we should fear? Is there something that's very present, very real, that does rise up against us and it becomes a threat to our peace, it becomes an assault on our mind, our heart, becomes a threat to our heart and our mind. In the Old Testament, for for the people of Israel, the greatest danger to them was not some foreign power outside of them. The greatest danger to Israel was the sin that was within them. And, And so it is for us as well. We could name all kinds of fears today. I'm afraid of this. I'm anxious about this. I'm terrified about this. I'm concerned about this. But the greatest danger that we all face is not some exterior threat, but an interior threat of the danger of our own sin. That the choices that we make that that break the law, and maybe worse than that, break the heart of God. This is exactly what, what Micah is writing about in that Old Testament minor prophet book. So if you have a copy of God's word with you today, I really do hope you do, or maybe at least a smart device. Let me give you some unhelpful information. It's the 33rd book in the Bible, but let me help you with some more helpful information. It's six books to the left of the gospel of Matthew. And so if you can kind of find where the New Testament starts, back it up six books, uh, you are there. It goes Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So let me give you about 20 minutes to find that, and then we'll start this morning. So let's go to the prophet Micah, because he points out this reality to us today. That perhaps the greatest danger to our peace, the greatest threat to our heart and our mind is actually not some exterior thing outside of us, but our very own sin. Let's get just anywhere to the book of Micah. We're going to kind of bounce around the book of Micah today. As you get there, I will give you a little context, kind of let you know what's happening in this book. Micah chapter 1 and 2, actually what you see is three cycles of judgment and hope. 
So three times in this short seven-chapter book, we see three different cycles of judgment, hope, judgment, hope, judgment, hope. First of all, we see in Micah 1 and 2 this very intense judgment of God. He is judging his people because of their idolatry, but he's also judging his people because they are oppressing the poor and oppressing the weak. You get to the end of Micah 2 and you see this brief glimpse of hope that this shepherd is going to come and this shepherd is going to gather up his sheep. Then all of a sudden the cycle begins over again in Micah uh, chapter 3. There's judgment again in Micah chapter 3. God sees his people celebrating evil things. In fact, they're calling evil things good things. Then Micah chapter 4 and chapter 5, so two pretty good-sized chapters in this small book, offer a lot of hope, some big passages of hope. God says, I will send a deliverer, I will send a shepherd, I will send a promised one, I will send a rescuer. Then Micah 6 is, wow, judgment. It is a a courtroom scene that it it opens up, and, and God is declaring his people guilty of turning their backs on him. Then you finally get to, to Micah 7, the very end of Micah 7, and you see the kind of the last of that cycle, this great hope of God's rich and deep compassion toward his people. So there's a one-minute overview of one of the greatest books in the Old Testament, perhaps one of the greatest minor prophets especially. I, I, I'm sorry I could not take two hours to unpack that today. I know that you are not, however. So let's, let's move forward. If you're a note taker, we can write this down somewhere. In Old Testament Israel, we see the wreckage of sin. Uh, we see what, what sin is, is producing. God's people are committing spiritual adultery. They're perverting justice. They're oppressing the poor. They have turned their, their back on God. And as a result, their lives are wrecked. Their families are wrecked. Their community is wrecked. Their spiritual community is wrecked. Their nation is wrecked. Because sin always brings wreckage. Let's begin right in the middle of the book today. Micah chapter 3. Let's go there first in your copy of God's Word or on your, on your smartphone this morning or your device, whatever you might have with you. Let's go to Micah chapter 3. Let me begin in verse 1. It, it begins pretty strongly. And I said, here you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. So let me stop real quick. Um, God is speaking through his prophet Micah to the patriarchs of the families or kind of the leaders of, of the tribes. He's also speaking to political leaders in the nation and he's speaking to the priests. He's speaking to the religious leaders. And I said, here you heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel. Uh, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil who tear the skin off of my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones into pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. I told you it was pretty intense. He's not talking about cannibalism here. It is, however, a very vivid picture. Uh, What he is saying, a very vivid picture of God's priest or God's leaders not caring about the sheep. In fact, so much so, it was almost as if they desired them to be dead. They were so cold toward the sheep around them, toward toward their family, toward their followers, toward their spiritual community. They were so cold toward them, it was almost like they were killing them. Look at verse 2 again. You who hate the good 
and love the evil. I'm going to give you three things this morning about how we see the wreckage of sin. Here's the first thing. Sin twists truth. When sin begins to twist the truth, we, we approve the bad and we condemn the good. It's exactly what we see here in, in verse 2. When we approve the bad, we condemn the good. Or verse 2, you hate the good or you love and you love the evil. The, the Jewish people, especially the priest, they knew they were called to love their neighbor. They knew they were supposed to take care of the poor, provide for the needy, uphold justice. But now their number one passion was making their own wealth. In fact, making wealth off the backs of the poor. And they justified their, their selfishness. Why, why did they do this? Because sin always twists truth. Sin perverts truth. Sin turns truth upside down. And if you don't believe me, we, we live in a day today that this is so true. Sin twists truth in our culture today. We, we celebrate arrogance today. I mean, the more arrogant the athlete, the more arrogant the singer, the more arrogant the politician, the more arrogant the media star, the more we pay them. Because sin twists truth. We begin to approve the bad and condemn the good. We live in a day where, where, where lust is, is glorified, where injustice is ignored. We live in a day where revenge is esteemed, when, when false social media posts or hateful social media posts are liked and they're just shared over and over again. We live in a day where, where abortion is considered self-determination instead of the murder of a child. You see, this is what sin does. It, it twists truth. We begin to call evil things good and good things evil. In that same chapter, look at chapter 3, jump down to, to verse 9. So Micah chapter 3, verse 9, let's see the second thing here. Hear this, and so here's the exact same call out to the political leaders, the spiritual leaders, and the heads of the households, the patriarchs. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. In other words, you're building up your wealth on the backs of the poor. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is it not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Here's the second thing I want you to see about the wreckage of sin. Sin has an end. We rebel like there is no judgment. We rebel like God will never judge. I mean, this was happening in the days of of Micah, this was 2,700 years ago, but we, we see it on the front page of, of our news today as well. Look at verse 11. Judges take bribes. Pastors are preaching just for money, verse 11. Prophets are prophesying for a fee, almost like they're magicians at some paid performance. And what do these priests do? What do these spiritual leaders do? What do these judges do? These prophets do? Verse 11 says they, they lean on God. They kind of press into God. And they say, yeah, we know that God is here. We know that God's in our midst. Verse 11, we know God is all around. But, but nothing's going to happen to us. Just like Paul said in Romans chapter 2, they presume upon the riches and kindness of God. Like they never thought God was real about judging. There's two very clear things we see in Micah about the judgment of God. Number one, it's going to happen. 
And number two, when it happens, it's going to be precise and accurate. God will judge his people. And I know this is not happy news for everyone in this room, but God will judge all of us precisely and accurately. But listen, here's the gospel. He'll either judge us for our sin or he'll judge us based on the forgiveness of our sin. But all in this house and all who are watching, the word of the Lord said all of us one day will stand before God and we'll be judged either based on our sin or on his forgiveness of our sin. Let's see the third thing about the wreckage of sin. It's it's right there, Micah chapter three, verse 12, just the very next verse. Therefore, because of you, because of spiritual leaders, religious leaders, political leaders, Leaders of households, because of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountains of the house a wooded height. And 120 years after Micah wrote this, this is exactly what happened. For those of you who who love history, it was 586 BC. The Babylonians came in and invaded Israel and Jerusalem became a heap, just like it says here, a heap of of ruins. Here's the third thing I want you to know about the wreckage of sin. Sin invites destruction. We ask disaster into our lives when we just stay on a course of rebelling against God. When we just stay on the course of sinning, we are asking disaster to come into our lives. We could go around this room right now. Well, we could go to every home that is watching and interview them. And I think we would hear story after story after story how sin has ruined many of the chapters of your lives. I could give story after story how sin has ruined chapters in my life. How sin has devastated marriages. Has caused families to, to crumble, finances to crumble. I think we could all go around this room and hear story after story after story how sin brought chaos and brought devastation and brought shame to our lives. You see, sin is an invitation for outright catastrophe in our lives. And when we continue to sin, what we're doing, we're just opening up the door and inviting total disaster to step into our lives, into our families into our relationships, into our homes. So let me turn it now. Because all throughout the minor prophet of Micah, we begin to see Jesus in the midst of this grueling judgment. Can I show you four ways today that we see Jesus here in the prophet of Micah? In Christ, we see the reigning shepherd. We see all the the judgment that belonged to Israel, and let's be honest, all the judgment that belongs to us. But then we begin to see Jesus here even, even 700 years before he came in Christ, we begin to see this reigning shepherd. So together this morning, let's see the glory of our Savior. Let's see the care of Jesus. Let's see Jesus written in a book 700 years before he came. Let's start in Micah chapter 5. So maybe go one page over to the right if your Bible's still open to chapter 3 or chapter 4. Look at Micah chapter 5. Let's just begin in verse 1 here. Again, this is God speaking to Micah, to God's people. He says, now muster your troops. In other words, get ready for war, O daughter of troops. This is still judgment. Chapter 5 verse 1. For siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Now, verse 2 begins with a great word, 
But, but you, O Bethlehem, Epratah, you were, you were too small. The word can be rendered too weak, too unseen, too unnoticed to be among even the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, God says, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he, speaking of, of God himself, he will give them up, he will give his people up until that time, and here comes the virgin birth, when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return back to the people of Israel. And verse four is a goosebump verse. And he, speaking of Christ, speaking of this reigning shepherd who would come, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they speaking of us shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace let's see Jesus today not just in our lives, we pray. Not just his work in this room, in our hearts, we pray. Let's see Jesus in these passages in God's word today. Go back to Micah chapter 4, verse, verse 6. Micah chapter 4, verse 6 says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather in the lame. I'll gather those who've been driven away. I'll, I'll gather in those whom I have afflicted. Here's the first place we see, I think, Jesus in, in the prophet of Micah. Number one, he rescues fully. His sheep will not be forsaken. Uh, look at verse six again. It says, even the lame, even the broken, even the injured, even the offended, those who've been driven away, maybe some here today have been offended in the past, even the afflicted, even though God caused that affliction, he will rescue us. And then Jesus will keep his sheep. He will assemble his sheep. He will gather in his sheep. He will keep his sheep. He does not lose his own. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He will not turn his back on you. This shepherd will hold us and this shepherd will keep us. The very next verse, Micah chapter four, verse seven, and the lame, there it is mentioned again, again, the broken, the, the spiritually broken, I will make the remnant. And those who are cast off, those who are on the outside, I will make them a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. Here's the second place we see Jesus here in, in the prophet Micah. He affords saving grace. He adopts his sheep. He provides, this reigning shepherd will provide, will give this saving grace. He will bring in his own. He will bring in his sheep. Look at verse 7 one more time. He makes the lame a remnant. Remnant is a really important word in the Old Testament. Um, Shearith is, is the word in Hebrew. The word remnant is all throughout the Old Testament. It's all throughout uh, the prophet Micah's writings as well. Shearith, uh, uh, the, the remnant means those who have escaped. So here in this passage, when we see that, that this Christ, this reigning shepherd would come... And would allow the lame, the, the, the broken, the, the isolated, the outsiders, he would allow them to escape. But it means there's a people that God saves 
by his grace for himself. Verse 7, he uses the word castoffs. Um, we would probably use the word today outsiders, those who are on the outside, those, those who, who aren't a part, they don't feel a part of the mainstream, they don't feel a part of, of society. They're, they're just cast off, they're outsiders. What does it say here? He'll make them strong. This is God giving his grace, his strength to those who are outside his family. Those who are outside of the family of God are now being brought into the family by this reigning shepherd that would come, what does it say in verse six, in that day. Here's the third thing we get to see. It's in Micah chapter 7. I know we're bouncing all over this book. Maybe you'll take some time to read through it this week. Micah chapter 7. Just look at the very last of Micah chapter 7, uh, verse 18 and 19. I know it ends in verse 20, but let's just look at verse 18 and verse 19. See the third thing about Jesus, this reigning shepherd. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. And passing over transgression for the remnant, there's that word again, those that you have saved by your own grace for your own name, for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You, O God, will cast our sin into the depths of the sea. Here's the third way I want you to see Jesus today. He loves intently. And he frees his sheep. This shepherd loves intently. He frees his sheep. Now let me be just very clear to you today. Those who are here, those who are watching, very even transparent to you today. I can't find any other scriptures in all the Bible like these two scriptures right here that are more encouraging for those who are weighted down by sin. Anybody here today discouraged by your own sin? Anyone here today feel just weighed down by your own rebellion? Listen, because, verse 18, because he delights in steadfast love, and because, verse 19, he has compassion on us, God takes your sin, my sin, the sin of his people, and, verse 19, stomps on it. I imagine he has big feet. Then, verse 19, cast our sin into the bottom of the sea. He frees those who are in Christ. He loves us so intently. This is why you never have to remind God of sin that he has forgiven you of in the past. Because he has tossed it, cast it into the bottom of the sea. This is good news. God doesn't just forgive our sin. He removes our sin, which makes makes us completely free of our sin. Fourthly, Micah chapter 5. So go back again if you don't mind. Micah chapter 5, verses 4 through 5. Love the sound of your turning pages. Micah 5, 4 through 5. I know we've read this already. Again, here's that goosebump passage. I love this passage. And so I want us to end on this passage today. The fourth way that we see Jesus, and we see Jesus all throughout the Old Testament prophets, all throughout the minor prophets, all throughout Micah. But listen to this picture of him because this is so specific about the one coming from Bethlehem, the one who has always been, the one who will be the ruler. Verse four, and he, this promised one, this Messiah, this Christ, he shall stand. 
and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. He will shepherd his flock in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they, speaking of us, those sheep, we will dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth and he shall be their peace. Sheep, listen. Jesus shepherds us, verse four, in the strength of the Lord. Sheep, listen, verse four, he shepherds us in the majesty of the name of the Lord. So we do what in verse four? We dwell secure. Those of you who come to Highland thinking, man, I can't wait for that preacher guy just to give us a lot of Hebrew words. Here it comes. It's yashab. Dwell secure. Yashab. You know what the word yashab means? It means to sit down settled down into a chair and remain. It's what some of y'all did for four days this past week, right? You sat down in a chair and you just stayed there for four or five days. Warm blankets on top of you, maybe heat around you, maybe a fire near you, probably a lot of snack food and the remote control and your iPhone near you and you just settled in and you remain. This is the exact word that's used right here. Those who are shepherded by the Lord, we settle down into a chair, we take a seat, and we just remain there for him to bring us what? Verse five, peace. The same shepherd who saved you is the same shepherd who holds you and holds you forever. You remain under his tender care for eternity. The wreckage of our sin in this room will not overtake us if we're in Christ Jesus. Here's the assurance that we have. Here's the confidence that we have. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by virtue of his death and his resurrection, he has now been exalted to the right hand of God the Father. And he is forever prevailing, forever victorious, forever supreme. Verse 4, he will be great to the ends of the earth. He reigns forever, so he will never, ever, ever, ever lose one of his sheep. So let me end with this. How about some intense questions as if this was not an intense enough sermon to to preach and to be heard? Can I ask for you to consider some very intense questions? In fact, in light of seeing Jesus and Micah, there's some very sharp, weighty questions I would like for us to consider together today, to wrestle with today. And honestly, some of these answers to these questions, some of your answers to these questions might change the trajectory of your life. From this day until your last day. So weighty, I would ask for you to stand as we consider these questions together. Here's the first question. Intense, weighty, sharp question. Why do we stay in sin when it destroys? And we understand why those outside of Christ would stay in sin. They spiritually do not know any better. But by the grace of God, God has saved many people in this room and he has opened our eyes to 
to our sin. He has opened our eyes to the nature of sin, the the depths of sin, how sin wrecks people, ruins people. And he's even given us a picture of our sin ultimately and the horror of our sin on the cross of Christ. So can I plead with you to take inventory of your life right now? Inventory of your life this past week, 2021 so far. If you know where sin leads and you know what God thinks of sin and you know that our sin was placed onto Christ, how can we continue in it? How can you stay in sin? How can I stay in sin? If we know that sin wrecks us, destroys us, our lives, our families, our friendships, our relationships, our testimony, why do we stay in sin when it certainly destroys? Here's the second question I'd have for us today. Why do we self-justify when Jesus fully forgives. Where has um, rescuing yourself led you? Where has forgiving yourself led you? Where has shepherding your own shame and your own life led you? I would submit to you, probably nowhere at all. So I justify your sin when the shepherd of the ages is willing to dismiss your sin, to free you from your past, to forgive you completely, to to give you his grace-filled gift of forgiveness. It makes no sense while we try to shepherd our own guilt, shepherd our own shame, shepherd our own lives, when a shepherd who is great to the ends of the earth will forgive you and clean you and hold you and declare you forever free and forever forgiven. Here's the third weighty question that I hope we can wrestle with today. Why do we stay in fear when our shepherd protects? We have a good shepherd who laid his life down for us. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Your life is protected by a shepherd who is great to the ends of the earth. A reigning shepherd. And he has never lost a sheep. Would you bow your head and bow your heart with me, please? Father, would those questions mess with us all day today? God, would you help us to consider these things, to, to, to feel the weight of those questions, God, of why do we try to justify ourselves when you're willing to fully and freely forgive us? Why do we stay in fear when we have a shepherd who is great to the ends of the earth, holding us and shielding us and protecting us? And why in the world would we stay in sin when we know full well it wrecks our lives? 
Jesus, we praise you today that you're the reigning shepherd coming out of that small little town of Bethlehem, the one who would be the ruler from God, who would shepherd his people, would gather his people in, would cause us to dwell safely, to be seated and remain in the peace of God. So Father, we praise you for this shepherd and we sing for this shepherd today.